Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. Hey there, folks. Today, we're taking a trip to the wild lands of North Dakota, where spooky stories float on the breeze and creep into your dreams at night. So come on, let's grab a marshmallow, preferably homemade, because... They're unbelievable. If you haven't made homemade marshmallows, do yourself a favor. And let's gather around the digital campfire as we dive into the ghostly tales of the Custer House, wander through the mysterious Riverside Cemetery, and uncover the secrets of the Miniwashitu. Guarantee you I didn't pronounce that right. It's going to be a ride full of time travel and folklore. So buckle up. Let's go. Do you believe in ghosts? Join me on a journey through America's dark and haunted past as we explore the ghost stories and folklore that have been passed down for generations. What scares you? Let's find out. I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. Certain locations can be unsettling. You may find yourself in a spot that gives off an eerie vibe. And it may not just be your imagination. I mean, could there be someone or something watching? North Dakota has its fair share of such places. And among them are cemeteries, which are already known for their creepy atmosphere. One in particular, though, stands out as the creepiest of them all. Fargo's infamous Riverside Cemetery, which they say is ridiculously haunted. There has long been a rumor that Riverside Cemetery is haunted. A plethora of urban legends surround this quiet, seemingly peaceful place of rest. Nobody knows exactly how long the grounds have creeped people out, but the locals say that they have for years. It's beautiful, it's quiet, and it's eerie. In some cases, if one is unlucky, 
you may hear people crying and calling out near or around mausoleums. The Riverside Cemetery has made numerous creepiest cemeteries of lists on the internet, as well as been visited by a ton of paranormal blogs and videos all over YouTube about this cemetery. Interestingly enough, finding usable images of this enormous graveyard online is rather difficult, even in 2023. If you want to see this place for yourself, you may just have to go pay a visit. The Custer House is a handsome wooden two-story home with a wide front porch containing all the space and area required for a proper home of a commander of a fort. In 1989, the Fort Abraham Lincoln Foundation, a successful nonprofit group, rebuilt Custer's house using Custer's own plans from 1874. In 1872, Fort Abraham Lincoln was constructed to safeguard both Bismarck and the ongoing railroad development from potential attacks by Native American tribes. Although a small infantry post was initially erected on a hill, it proved insufficient. As a result, in 1873, a full-fledged military fort known as Fort Abraham Lincoln was established as the main hub for six cavalry companies. This standard military installation boasted various amenities, such as three barracks, a commissary, and a stable. It likely included a hospital and featured a parade ground, along with an officer row comprising of identical homes for each officer and their families. In the midst of a cold winter in 1873, Custer's house was tragically destroyed. However, he turned this misfortune into an opportunity to make some improvements to the original plans. Since Fort Abraham Lincoln was situated far from any signs of civilization, both George and Libby Custer saw the importance of incorporating a touch of normalcy into their lives. This was also beneficial for the other officers and their wives stationed at the fort. Custer had specific desires for his home. He wanted it to reflect his status and be a place to entertain and hold meetings for his fellow officers. The common rooms were designed with spaciousness in mind to comfortably accommodate large groups, while an officer's game room provided a perfect setting for casual discussions over a game of pool. Libby, who was a lady of class, desired a sophisticated and spacious home that would offer her the refined lifestyle she longed for. Being the wife of a base commander, she believed it was her duty to establish a support network for other military wives who were also far away from their homes and whose husbands were in potentially hazardous situations while on duty. A welcoming gathering place in the midst of untamed territory where they could find solace and cultivate friendships seemed like a necessary addition. By train and boat, everything from the windows to the furniture was delivered creating a civilized home for the Custer family as well as other military personnel. It was pleasing and comforting to be surrounded by their favorite possessions, develop morale and foster relationships among the people. Additionally, George Custer's two brothers, Tom and Boston, and his nephews were all stationed at Fort Abraham Lincoln, so he was giving his family a special place to gather. However, the home of Lieutenant George and Libby Custer was cut short by tragic events on June 25th and June 26th of 1876, the Battle of Little Bighorn. They were tasked by the federal government to force the Lakota Sioux, Northern Cheyenne, and Arapaho tribes back to their assigned reservations as they refused to sign the Great Sioux Nation Treaty. The 7th Cavalry, 
joined by two other units, faced a fierce confrontation with angry Native American forces, who greatly outnumbered them. In this dire situation, it was apparent that the cavalry stood no chance against the hostile warriors due to a tactical error made by their commander, Lieutenant Colonel Custer. A driving need to be recognized led Colonel Custer to take risks in battle, and he was known for taking too much advantage of his abilities and too little of the enemy's abilities. It was a strategy that had worked for him well during the Civil War, which resulted in his advanced rank, that he was hoping for another victory, taking a risk to achieve glory and recognition. Lieutenant George Custer, however, failed to listen to a wiser voice, those of his own Native American scouts, who knew what they had seen. To be fair, Colonel Custer was well-trained, brave, and determined to stick with the battle plan formulated by his commanding officer, General Philip Sheridan, which involved two other cavalry units being involved. Despite changing his original attack plan, it wasn't enough to prevent disaster. Upon reading about his life, it becomes apparent that his desire for recognition and attention stemmed from his childhood experiences. As one of five children, he was temporarily placed with a relative at some point. His constant pranks at West Point resulted in frequent discipline from authorities. It can be argued that these actions were a manifestation of his unmet need for love and affection during his formative years, which continued to affect him throughout his life. Despite this, he found solace in the love shared between him and his wife Libby, who reciprocated his feelings deeply. This relationship held such a significance to him that he was willing to risk suspension from his job for a year to attend her urgent needs. The men of the 7th Cavalry who rode with Custer in this campaign, including two of his brothers and one nephew, met a gruesome fate in the Battle of Little Bighorn. They were buried on the battlefield, which later became a national park known as the Little Bighorn Battlefield National Monument in Crow Agency, Montana. Both sides of the battle were honored, but a sense of sadness and tragedy permeates in the air. What makes it even more tragic is that the Black Hills, originally included in the Indian Reservation according to the 1868 treaty, were taken away when gold was discovered. Following the aftermath of tragedy, life resumed its course at Fort Abraham Lincoln. The surviving families of the fallen soldiers returned to their homes with fresh cavalry troops and officers were dispatched to take over their duties. However, change was on the horizon. As the railroad reached completion in 1883, the 7th Cavalry units were transferred to defend Fort Meade, rendering Fort Abraham Lincoln less significant in the area. In accordance with Congress's decision in 1891, the post was officially decommissioned and then abandoned with a new version built across the river. It's curious to contemplate if perhaps paranormal phenomena played a role in the prompting of this relocation. Despite not being used for several years, the buildings did not remain abandoned and vulnerable to the elements. Oh no. Only one year later, settlers and townspeople disassembled the entire fort in order to salvage its valuable materials. Although it was designated as a state park for some time, it wasn't until the Great Depression in 1932 that efforts were made to rebuild the structures. The Civilian Conservation Corps played a key role in this reconstruction, laying the foundations at the original fort site and constructing a visitor center, shelters, and roads, 
Additionally, they meticulously reconstructed military blockhouses and placed markers where other fort buildings once stood. They even recreated the Native American Mandan tribe's earthen lodges that had previously been located near the foregrounds. Since its founding, the Fort Abraham Lincoln Foundation has been a powerful force in rebuilding not only the Custer home, but also the commissary, the central barracks, the mess hall, the 7th Cavalry Stables, as well as a replica Mandan village, referred to as the Honest Land Village. A lot of effort were put into historically restoring this important American fort, and a lot of money was raised to fund it. There are a number of fundraising events held by the Fort Abraham Lincoln Foundation that are both entertaining and profitable. Taking a tour of the Custer House also includes a visit to the Honest Land Village. Fort Abraham Lincoln State Park it also has a campground and a picnic area, so if you're in the area, check it out. Now, I've said many times before that once you start disturbing things is usually when paranormal activity begins. And often after a historic building is restored and important items are brought in, its original inhabitants maybe want to come by and take a look. In addition to seeing their old comforting habitat restored historically, the spirits must also be thrilled to see their actual favorites displayed. Dressing in period clothes can act as an environmental trigger, attracting spirits to communicate with us. It is said that when people experience circumstances or consequences during their life that makes them sometimes lose their home, that can cause them to come back and visit in the afterlife. Before the Battle of Little Bighorn, Lieutenant Colonel Custer and Mrs. Custer lived in their house for less than two years. In some cases, entities stay in their home because loved ones are still alive or in spirit form. In order to comfort his wife Libby, who was still grieving her loss, Custer may have visited the house and decided to stay there. Touring the battlefield and exhibits, there would be a better pastime in the afterlife than dwelling on past mistakes and the consequences of them. After they pass into the spirit world, people say, People who form a close support groups to bolster each other's resolve to sometimes endure danger and hardship, as well as to have fun socially, will continue to do so. And when they as a group suffer a big blow, they may become stuck in their emotions. Perhaps George Custer also visits to lift the spirits of the fallen officers who have come home, as well as to see his brothers and nephew. There is a strategy that military wives have used throughout history. And Libby Custer is no different. She gathered all the wives of the officers into a support group. And on that fateful day in 1876, the women all felt an unsettling feeling of impending doom, and they had all gathered at Libby's home. They were all present when the disaster at Little Bighorn happened, and they all grieved together. There are the usual signs of spirits being present in the area. Cold spots, disembodied voices, images at the corner of your eye, movements, doors that open and close on their own, lights that would turn on and off whenever they felt like it, the feeling of being watched or perhaps kindly touched. Both Mr. and Mrs. have returned to their beloved home, filled with all their favorite pictures and possessions. George Custer, he was tired of walking the battlefield and visiting the Little Bighorn Museum. So he returned home to see his house, built to his specifications, 
and perhaps to be with his wife, who lived there as well. In addition to feeling his presence, EVPs have been recorded, suggesting that he visits often. Mrs. Custer, on the other hand? Well, they have said that they have seen a woman in a black dress who has been seen looking out the second floor window of the Custer house. Possibly her bedroom. They say that she wore black the entire time she was mourning. As you open the door to the second floor bedroom that has been used by Mrs. Custer, you can find an indentation of a human form in the bed, they say. Mrs. Custard's spirit keeps her chin up, though, despite her sorrow. And she likes to take tours of her house. An EVP was recorded of a woman, thought to be her, reminding a tour guide to point out the pictures on display during a walkthrough with a paranormal group. The Custer's house was used as a central gathering point for all the other military wives. And even in the afterlife, they seem to be keeping Mrs. Custer company. There have been several guests who have heard unexplained, disembodied moans and wailings. People who were reliving the death of their loved ones, perhaps. George, his brother Tom, his nephew, and many others. A few of these women seem to have developed attachments to some of the male tour guides who are dressed in military uniforms as they say they get followed around the house. There is also the presence of a lot of male entities as well. The remains of the male cavalry soldiers who were killed in a painful manner are also present at the Custer House. Disembodied male voices have been heard coming from the billiard room. A male EVP voice caught by a paranormal group also suggests a protective, friendly presence is in the house. So is the house still haunted, you're asking? Well, that's definitely a yes. As she mourns the tragedy that took the lives of so many soldiers and their family, Mrs. Custer keeps company with the other officers' wives as well as her husband, George. Libby walks around the living room of her house, silently welcoming visitors, reminding a guide about pictures and being helpful whenever possible. She stays with the other female entities, mourning for their husbands. But she also notices cute staff members who work the tour guides now, apparently. Officers, including George's brother Tom, and of course Lieutenant George Custer, follow staff, visitors, and paranormal investigators, and listen in on conversations. And apparently all the spirits are friendly and welcoming. In August of 2009, the Dakota Paranormal Investigators conducted an investigation at Fort Abraham Lincoln Park. They obtained solid evidence within the Custer House, indicating the presence of a man and woman potentially Colonel George Custer and Libby Custer. During a tour with a staff member, one team member inquired about any original belongings belonging to the Custer. As they explored the kitchen area, the staff member presented them with one of Libby's plates. It was at this moment an EVP was recorded as the investigators began to photograph the plate and other objects. The EVP was heard screaming, no pictures in a female voice with a male voice following, saying, couple pictures. Mm, perhaps the two spirits are still getting along in the afterlife. That sounds like a married couple. During one tour with the paranormal investigators, an EVP was captured in the Custer House parlor. The investigators were sitting around talking with a Fort Abraham Lincoln staff member. They were talking about the Battle of Little Bighorn, and they captured this. A male voice of a young man, perhaps Custer's brother Tom or another 7th Cavalry officer, saying, 
More of the men have been dying. There is a certain staff tour guide, they say, who dresses in military uniforms, and apparently he is much appreciated by a female entity, or several entities. The investigators were on the main floor, and one of them was telling a story to a man named Matt, who was another Fort Abraham Lincoln staff member. And during his story, an EVP of a woman with a southern drawl said, Love y'all very much. And towards the end of a clip, another EVP of a young woman screaming, Scott, is heard. Which makes me think of Austin Powers. Anyway, Matt, who is another staff member and is also a tour guide, apparently is considered a catch among the entities. Paranormal investigators have recorded several EVPs of disembodied female voices saying, I love you, Matt. Want to pay a visit for yourself and see if you can catch yourself a ghostly bride? The Custer House can be found in Fort Abraham State Park, seven miles south of Mandan, North Dakota. It sits in the middle of what was once called Officer's Row, with a clear view of the parade grounds and other reconstructed buildings. Its address is 3448 Chateau Road, Mandan, North Dakota. Stop on by. Tell the Custers that old Chrissy sent you. Hey, folks. I just wanted to drop in and say hello. Um, November, phew, November came and went. And uh, I know after, uh, you know, at the end of Halloween season, I was like, ah, we'll be back to business as usual during my North Carolina episode. And then I kind of let weeks go by without putting anything out. But that's what happens. You know, it's the holiday season. Everybody's, you, you really, every year this happens to me where I forget how busy I do get at the end of the year. And it's just, it's not just me, it's probably everybody. But I apologize, but we're going to get the ball rolling again. So here we go, back to the States. Um, I've gotten a couple emails about the Nightmare Collective, like, hey, what's going on with that? You only put out two episodes. Um, that's going on a little bit of a hiatus. We're probably going to launch the season officially in February, February 1st. And that's where all my fiction stories are going to go, as well as a couple other authors who I'm partnering with on that. Um, I'm going to be narrating my stories and, and probably some of theirs, but we also have some great guest authors coming on. And the cool part about that is, um, the Nightmare Collective is all those stories, that's the only place you're going to hear them. They're, you know, these aren't, there's no guest authors, there's no, you know, creepypastas or anything like that. These are all 100% original stories written for the Nightmare Collective. So that's cool. So if you haven't checked that out, check on, head on over to Nightmare Collective and uh, give that a subscribe. That's where my fiction story is going to go and my folklore stuff is going to be here. Folklore, ghost stories, some last meals, which I've been sleeping on, um, some true crime stuff, you know, all the kind of spooky stuff that goes around around the country. Next year, I'm going to periodically visit over to the other side of the pond, over to Europe and the rest of the world, just to see what kind of folklore they've got to offer and try and connect it to some American stories. But yeah, so uh, this is the North Dakota episode. Next week, we're visiting Ohio, and then we come upon Christmas time, and I'm going to visit. That's when I'm going to visit a little somewhere else because we're going to talk about some Krampus folklore. And I have uh, you know a little original story that Folklore inspires. I know I've been just said, hey, all my original stories are going over by uh, the Nightmare Collective. And that's true, they are. But I'm still going to sprinkle in a story once or twice around over here when uh, 
It's got a little bearing on the folklore I'm talking about. So, anyway, I just wanted to say hello and uh, thank you guys for all your support and the outpouring of uh, love I've gotten for the Zachary Bain finale um, has been fantastic. Thank you guys. I just really can't thank you guys enough for that. So stay tuned to listen to see what's going to come from that story. I'm working on a couple of things. I really have to narrow it down. That's what happens when your mind goes everywhere. It's like, oh, hey, this is fun. Let me do this. Let me do this. Let me do this. It's like I have to yell at myself. Stop it, Chris. Pay attention to this. Stop it. So anyway, thank you, folks. Love you guys. And uh, let's keep North Dakota rolling. Later. Hey, folks. You guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com haunted. I'll see you there. People love to tell scary stories. Hell, that's why I started this podcast. Tales of the paranormal are usually always front and center. But why tell ghost stories when there could be a real-life beast of horror right around the corner? The term cryptid is commonly used to refer to creatures that are believed to exist but have not been proven. Some well-known examples are things I've talked about before, the Loch Ness Monster, the Chupacabra, and various Sasquatches such as Bigfoot and Yeti and the Wendigo and yada yada yada. The Great Plains have their fair share of these legendary beasts, many of which stem from Native American folklore. Stories of werewolves, the Wendigo, and even Bigfoot himself originate from tribes in the northern parts of the United States and hold a place in both superstition and cryptozoology. Despite these popular tales, though, there was one North Dakota nightmare that remains relatively unknown. It is likely that you are familiar with some of the world's most famous cryptids. But are you aware that one that lives in the depths of the Missouri River? In spite of not being as well known as the other cryptids, the Missouri River monster is just as terrifying as all of them. If the stories about how it appears and how powerful it is are to be believed, it's really something to behold. 
for a brief look at one of the most curious creatures of North Dakota, we will descend into the mighty Missouri. The Mini Washitu, a legendary creature in North Dakota culture, has been referenced in stories dating back to pre-European settlement times. However, it wasn't until author and cultural anthropologist Melvin Randolph Gilmore wrote about the Dakota Plains myth in a 1921 book that the beast was mentioned in written media. As a lover of stories and a frequent collaborator with tribal nations, it is likely that Gilmore heard the tale from oral traditions. In his account of the creature, he describes his experience of hearing the story as follows. Supposedly, a mysterious being resides in the Missouri River in ancient times. It was rarely seen by humans and was most dreadful to watch. It is said that sometimes it was seen within the water in the middle of the stream, causing a redness that radiated like the redness of fire as it passed upstream against the current with a terrific roaring sound. According to legend, gazing upon this terrifying creature during daylight hours would inevitably lead to insanity and physical distress until death provided relief. A man claimed to have seen this monstrous being not long ago and described its appearance. A bizarre form covered in red-like hair like a buffalo, possessing one eye in the center of its forehead and a single horn above it. The man recounted that its spine was serrated like a massive saw. The story goes that as he laid eyes on the creature, everything went black, and he barely made it home before losing his sanity and ultimately passing away. They say this creature still lives in the Missouri River, breaking up the ice of the river as it moves upstream against the current at the break of springtime. The Miniwashitu is mostly submerged in the Missouri River and only surfaces on rare occasions. Despite the rarity, it would undoubtedly capture attention with its imposing height of over seven feet. Covered in a shaggy coat of red hair, the creature resembles a bipedal buffalo. The most striking feature is its single eye situated in the middle of its forehead, accompanied by a prominent horn and a protruding spine along its back. Its hands are humanoid, while its feet resemble hooves similar to those of an elk. While it has been impossible to photograph this elusive creature for confirmation, artists have attempted to recreate its appearance. Despite its supposed grotesque appearance, the creature is not always a predator. Most tales depict it surviving on a diet of fish, plants, and grass. While it may not intentionally come across as menacing, the Miniwashitu is fiercely defensive of its territory and will retaliate against intruders. Fortunately, there hasn't been any evidence of it seeking out or attacking humans with its immense size and power, although given its alleged abilities, that may not be necessary. Legend has it that the Miniwashitu is a terrifying creature that can cause one's mind to shatter and their vision to darken with just one glance. Some say that meeting its gaze is even worse, as it can leave you frozen in fear for the rest of your short, chaotic life. Those who have encountered this beast are said to have suffered greatly, not only from its appearance, but also from its deafening bellow when it comes to the surface. According to the story, the man who first came face to face with the Minimushitu barely made it back alive to warn others before eventually passing away. Despite all the intimidation, it serves a purpose as well. In the springtime, the Minimushitu used its massive strength to break the ice across the Missouri River, 
making it accessible for fishing and traveling once again. And as a result, the Dakota tribes feared and respected the beast at the same time. Am I convinced by this tale of this creature of whose name I'm probably mispronouncing? No, not really. But it is thought-provoking. There are many intriguing elements to dissect in this unusual story. Listen, the chances of an insane and now blinded individual being able to recount their encounter with a monster and then finding their way back home to tell the story seems to me to be a bit of a stretch. Additionally, one would assume that more people would have witnessed or reported suddenly going blind when this creature appeared periodically. Nevertheless, the mere possibility of the Miniwishatu's existence is ample fuel for crafting various theories, speculations, and imaginative scenarios. Still, there's something very intriguing about the legend. Even the slightest probability of a creature like this existing certainly inspires and intrigues many creative minds. The myth itself may be more important than the existence of the rumor. If not for the sheer amount of curiosity the rumor has created, rather than the literary works that resulted from it. That said, I don't recommend trying to find it. As our journey through North Dakota's folklore comes to a close, I hope you enjoyed this deep dive into the intriguing stories of the Custer House, the Riverside Cemetery, and the mysterious Miniwashitu. And needless to say, if you've liked these stories, please send an email leave a review. But most importantly, if your state's coming up, send me an email about things that you want to hear me talk about or things that you think I'd be interested in researching and speaking about. And of course, until next time, keep the spirit of folklore alive and keep those curious minds a-wandering. Again, I'm Christopher Feinstein, and this is Haunted American History. I'd like to give a shout to my newest members of the Patreon, Amanda and Timothy. Timothy, you said you enjoy watching, and not watching, you don't watch, you listen. Enjoy listening with your son, but you need to give me your son's name, because I'd give him a little shout too. Anywho, thank you guys so much. If you're interested in joining the Patreon, patreon.com slash hauntedamericanhistory. Add free episodes, early releases, and uh, just all kinds of fun stuff we're going to do. And uh, that's that. Until next time. Later, folks. Love you.